It's Rockland World Radio. RocklandWorldRadio.com. All right, hello, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of New York Update. This is Jake Jacobs. I'm a public school teacher in New York City. Today we're going to play for you two interviews. We recently interviewed two state senate candidates. One is David Carlucci, the sitting state senator for the 38th district here in Rockland County in Westchester. And we also interviewed Jessica Ramos, who is a sure thing. She's a lock for a state senate seat down in Queens. Uh, The reason why is because she has no Republican opponent. And she had a pretty interesting primary against Jose Peralta, one of the members of the IDC. And uh, we spoke to both of these candidates about education, uh, specifically charter schools, the controversial state funding issue of schools, of high-need schools, and my favorite topic, standardized testing. So we're going to jump right into the first interview with David Carlucci. This was conducted just about two hours ago. David was nice enough to phone in. Let's see if we can get the levels here. Oh, great. Thanks for calling in. I hope this is a nice, loud level. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Great. Okay. Um, Yeah, let's dive right in. The issues that we're that we're asking candidates around the state to weigh in on are the controversial issues of charter schools, standardized testing, and the foundation aid funding. So starting off with charter schools, we know that Rockland County doesn't have any, but it is an issue that comes up in the annual budget pretty much every year where some lawmakers want to expand the cap, uh, expand the number of charter schools in the state and others don't. So why don't you tell us where you, where your position is? Yeah, my position is always that we've got to support our public school education first and foremost. And so that's my priority. And I think uh, supporting lifting the cap, that, that's not something that I support. And I believe that we've got to continue to work at improving our, our public schools before we can start to invest in more charters. And uh, you bring up foundation aid. You know the, that should be the focus to make sure that we're fully funding foundation aid. And I see it here in Rockland and in Rochester counties that we have some of the highest property taxes in the nation, and we have to stop pitting school children against property taxes. And we can do that by really making a commitment to fund our schools at an adequate level. And make sure it's going to the schools that need it most. Right. Okay. And so when it comes to the funding, you know, we have the CFE settlement campaign for fiscal equity that did turn into legislation in 2011, I believe. There was a millionaire's tax in place for at least a year, and they did make good on CFE funding for that year. I know it was only partial, but... um. When they talk about how it could be paid for today, is the millionaire's tax something that you would support uh, bringing back? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a possibility. Um, but I believe that funding right now, it is there. We just have to prioritize and make sure that it's a priority. And I believe that we could come to a resolution that brings it to full funding in a, in a short period of time. Um, but I believe that, yes, it probably would take a few years to get to fully funding it. But we've got to commit to that, and we've got to accelerate aid 
to the districts that need it most. And when I say that, I talk about districts like Austin, like East Ramapo, where we have a high need that's grown. Um, in Austin, we've seen a population. Enrollment has grown tremendously. And unfortunately, we've seen an increase in poverty as well. And that's very similar to what we've seen in East Ramapo. And so what I'm saying is that we need to have a mechanism that really enhances or accelerates that aid to the districts that need it most, uh, to the districts that have, maybe they're not technically under the state education department considered high needs, but they've been increasingly moving towards high needs. We need to address that now and not wait until it's a problem. Right. Well, the thing about the thing about foundation aid is that it would go all over the state to almost every school would be do something depending on how many kids you have, according to the formula, who are either in poverty or English language learners. I know there's a there's, you know, a, the specific criteria. Pretty much every school in Rockland is due about a million or more and then and then in East Ramapo and Austin it's quite a bit more so so uh, talking to you know talking to a couple other candidates the millionaires tax it seems like that would have to be at least a part of it although that wouldn't get you all the way there they're also talking about the congestion pricing down in the city and a commuter tax has been has been raised as well so maybe the, some of these things you could weigh in on. And then also one thing that Jessica Ramos mentioned when I interviewed her last week was that currently New York State allows gamblers to write off their losses and that uh, that's something that they would take a look at. What What's in the mix when it comes to, I mean, if this was a big sit-down and a negotiation, what else would be in the mix in order to get there, do you think? Well, I think some of the things we can look at is when we talk about the lotto, and this is something that I've been critical of for a long time, and the fact that we have an unclaimed fund. So basically, when someone doesn't claim their lotto winning, it goes into this pot um, for a year. Uh, it has to be, you, you don't collect it. And so on average, we see that that's tens of millions of dollars, and that's just one easy way that instead of it going back into the lotto system, it should be put into education. Right. The other thing we can do is tweak the formula that right now a higher percentage goes towards winning than goes towards uh, profit, let's say, or that goes to state to our education system. And so that's one way as well. I think that if we start hitting it with a with a commuter tax, that's going to be a battle that we just we just don't want. This is about educating our children. And we need to prioritize and, and make it equitable. Um, and then the same with the congestion pricing. That I don't see how that would work because the whole fight for congestion pricing would be to fund the, the, the inter infrastructure. Um, and I think we start to lose that battle if we say we're going to charge for congestion pricing and some of it goes to infrastructure, some of it goes to education. That would be a problem. I think what we have to do is first set the priority that this is what we want, this is what we need, and then we can figure out exactly where the revenue comes from. But we haven't even, we haven't had that commitment yet. And that's why that's extremely important. I believe that we're in, we're in a, we're looking good. I feel very confident about the, the upcoming election. However, you know, we can't count our, you know, uh, chickens, um, right. until, until they hatch. And so 
uh, we've got to be very careful about that. So I think that we'll be in a good shape if the Democrats take the, the majority in the Senate that adequately funding our schools is going to be a top priority. I know I'm going to make it the top priority for me, and I know I share that with many uh, fellow Democrats. So that will be very exciting. But I, I think that we have to first make it a priority. And, look, we've got a $170 billion budget. There is a lot of money. It's just how it's allocated, and, and that's why we've got to make it a priority. Okay. Pivoting back to the charters for a second, you said that you're not for charters. I guess you said you prioritize public schools. You wouldn't be interested in, in charters. But just yesterday, Daily News piece revealed that the charter PACs have been donating in a major way to the governor. It looks as though they are you know, making their bid to try and get him as an ally. If the budget comes up and charter schools are used kind of like as a negotiating chip to try and get something from the Democrats in exchange for more charter schools across the state, or mostly they'd be in New York City, and it seemed like Cuomo would be on board for that, is that a, uh, is that a non-negotiable for you, or is that something where you might play ball? Yeah, I don't see that working. I mean, I, I'm never going to uh, sacrifice, you know, charters for the commitment that we need to our to our public school students. So that's just not that's not uh, that's not going to work. Um, once we get to public funding and we can make those commitments, you know, hey, then we can talk about other other ways that we can educate our children. But we've got to make this commitment first. We've got to make sure there's a foundation. And unfortunately, I see all too often where, where children in New York State fall through that foundation. They fall through the cracks. And that's what we have to change. I mean, we have to fight for universal pre-K. And that, that unfortunately, has not, that fight has, has like, fell, fallen on deaf ears. Um, I'm very happy that New York City has universal pre-K. We we got to stop calling it universal PK in upstate New York because it's not universal. Right. You know we have every district has a waiting list. It right. doesn't have a UPK program. Uh, I mean, at least in my in the 38th Senate district, and so that we've got to change these priorities. We've got to make sure that we are fully funding foundation aid. That we're expanding UPK not just to four, but to three year olds as well. You know I've. I've seen the studies, read the reports. I know that that early education and, and intervention is key. It's so key. And, and you know, Jake, we've talked about this many times, how, how disturbing it is that in New York State, we have districts that don't offer kindergarten, don't offer full-day kindergarten. I mean, in this day and age, it's, it's just, it, it, there's yeah. no reason for that. Yeah, that's that's un- no reason for that. unconscionable. We had it right here with uh, North Rockland, East Ramapo, in districts where they need it, and then we're 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 they're six years old and they're coming to a school for the first time. And we wonder why we have problems. Joke. Yeah, I mean, pre-K aside, kindergarten should just be, you know, that that should be a no-brainer. We, we definitely agree on that. Let me ask you, how old are your boys now? I Five mean, and three. So one of them would be going into kindergarten this year, or they or they already started? One, one 
one of them is in kindergarten right now. He's actually at the same elementary school that I went to uh-huh. a few years ago. So it's really it's really cool. Um, and then my other guy is in a pre uh, preschool program um, at the JCC, and you know I see the importance of that. I mean, it's just so so important. And obviously, as a parent, we're both working, me and my wife, and it's a major priority for us to pay for full full time daycare with a professional, you know, with a curriculum that they're 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 inspiring our children, and and it's been great. I mean, I've seen the transition that my son has had into kindergarten. And it's really been fantastic. Um, and, and, and that's why I just say, you know, every child should have access to this. Yeah. Every yeah. child should have access to it. And, and it, we're doing ourselves a, a disservice in this state, in this country. And I've had these debates with legislators, legislators that still don't recognize the importance of pre-K. And then beyond that, to have access to quality uh, child care as well. But... You know, I mean, all of these issues—they're all—they're all related, and um, and it gets difficult when we try to, you know, silo them out. But that's why education is the centerpiece, and yeah. that's what I, I, I talk about. That when uh, we talk about affordability, when we talk about other issues in society, that education is just like, it's a key key part of the whole the whole equation. Well, yeah, you don't have to tell me. So, um, when I was interviewing uh, Jessica Ramos the other day, she has a uh, she has a kid in uh, kindergarten and she has a kid in second grade. She says that next year her her oldest boy will be in third grade, and she cannot wait to opt him out of the standardized tests. Um, I also interviewed John Mannion, uh, who's running for state senate up in Syracuse, and he's in a very close race. Um, against the Republican there, he's a 25-year teacher, uh, biology, high school teacher, and he also says that the standardized testing is a complete boondoggle that uh, is harmful to our kids and that has been wasteful. Um, we also see the, the state teachers union is taking a much stronger position against the standardized tests, including a lawsuit, a recent lawsuit. Um, how do you stand on the standardized testing? We know that Rockland has a higher than average opt-out rate. It's actually 31%, but um, it's as high as 50% or higher in North Rockland. Clarkstown, 43%. Uh, Nyack, 34%. Suffern, 37%. More than a third of the of the parents are opting their kids out of these standardized tests, and it really is getting to be a bigger issue in this cycle. What's your position on the testing, the math and ELA testing every year? Oh yeah, I think it's been a, it's been a disaster, and it shows that it's pushed parents and students to have to opt out of these tests. I mean, it's a it, it, we have to allow our teachers to teach children. They're professionals. We have the best teachers on the planet right here in New York State. And they should be teaching children, not teaching to a test. And it, it bothers me because I think about my experience in, in the public schools and having great teachers that taught me, you know, didn't just teach me how to take a test. Because if that's all that it was being done, I wouldn't have done well at all. And so I think of from just my point of view, and I think a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah. So, so, so I- I've been standing with the teachers, uh, on this issue particularly, and as you know, this, the New York State Teachers Union has endorsed me, and, and I'm proud to have that endorsement and, and work with them. Um, 
because, yeah, I mean, it, you hear the stories about uh, just having to teach through this test and having to have to cut other things out, um, and that personalization, you lose that. Yeah. And I have a whole bunch of other issues that we can get into with that, but um, I've supported the legislation to 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 do away with the standardized testing because it just, you know, in theory, it might have sounded good a few years ago, some of these ideas, but it just, it's shown that it's just impractical, and, and especially under the current circumstances. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate I, I appreciate that. We know that the um, we know that the federal mandate is for uh, the ma the you know the Common Core test. They have a new name now, the Next Gen. But um, the the Common Core is two days of math and two days of ELA. The rest of the testing, though, that uh, schools around the state have to take is mandated by the state. And so that is something where legislation could open up the Education Transformation Act and take away the mandate for those state-mandated tests. That, you know, they call them the local tests. Um, right, okay. And in my school, we have 12 days of testing. So only four of that is the federal test, and eight of that is state tests. And so, yeah, Albany is really killing us in my school. I've spoken to a couple other teachers upstate that do 20 days of testing because... If you do, if you have to do a, a, a beginning of year and an end of year test for every single subject, it really adds up. And you know, in my school, they piggyback a bunch of subjects, which is you know scientifically ridiculous. But it still does, you know, we still do twelve days of testing, and um, so that that's something that you know, with NICET now on the case and and a possible Democratic majority in the Senate. Uh, they might be able to open that up and reverse the mandate so that we o we're only stuck with the federal tests. Would you agree if that was the direction that we were taking? Yeah, I, I would look forward to that because uh, to have these kids, do, I mean, 20 days of testing, I mean, it doesn't make sense. That's, that's crazy. Yeah, it, it really, it really, you know, it really impacts the kids, and you'll see. You know, when you're a couple years away, but you know, when when you, uh, your kids, assuming they're in public schools, you know, when they get to third grade, that's when it starts, and you know, and they yeah. and, and they even start prepping before that, which is a shame. But um, it's good. Yeah, it's it's good to hear you're on the right side on that, and I think we really agree on the uh, funding issue. We got to see a really strong push to get that done and then as it pertains to charters um i know we don't have any in the district but you know there really are some uh hedge funders and some PACs that are spending big and i know they might try you know democrats again but it seems like it's not working in the last cycle they spent six million dollars and they concentrated on six senate seats um those numbers are definitely going up and, uh, you know, we probably won't hear about it until after the election's over. But uh, it's also good to see that, you know, we're prioritizing public schools and that we all agree. And I really think that parents in Rockland should uh, get behind David Carlucci, make sure that we do not have a Republican. And, uh, you know, once the, new, the, once the new Senate is seated, you know, we can take a fresh look at some of these issues. Couldn't agree with you more. All right, well, David, I'll let you go. I know time. I know you got a lot of things going on. We're gonna try and get this on the air um, at 7 p.m. tonight, and uh, it'll cool. be it'll be available on archive after that. Okay. Good. All right, David. Good uh, good luck with all the campaigning. Thank you.
Okay, that was David Carlucci uh, just today. And yeah, you know, this should be news. This really should be news. Um, I don't know. I follow this stuff very closely. I don't know of any other uh, place where David Carlucci has really weighed in on the standardized testing like that. And, you know, for a lot of these politicians, it really takes until their kids are staring down the the barrel of this inferior method of education um and uh you know we see this with uh legislators who have kids in the system that are from third to eighth grade or even even uh later when they're taking the regents um it's an awful system and education reform is a corporate form of cookie cutter education that has been uh imposed on local school districts and uh you know uh, all of new york state um there are direct ties uh, from these policies to the Gates Foundation and to a number of uh, billionaire hedge fund managers who uh, love to have these these policies in place because it allows them to rank and sort schools and rank and sort students um, against each other. They love the fact that you that everybody's taking the same standardized test because then you can say well, these teachers in this area aren't doing their job or those teachers in in that area aren't doing their job. And really, it's a total fallacy because the reasons why kids may or may not test well uh, has very little to do with teachers and um, almost everything to do with um, other factors, home-based factors, um, and poverty. And so, you know, we've looked at the research um, nine ways to Sunday, and they, uh, there's one particular report that came out a few years back that said the impact of having a great teacher in the classroom versus a mediocre or even a subpar teacher in the classroom, it's only a, a 17% factor statistically in the way they measure success. And unfortunately, they measure success on... Uh, personal income, <laughs> and I'm not sure why they do that because um, there's a lot more to life than money, but that's how they do it. And, um, you know, if you've been following the issue of standardized testing, it's been very hard to get some politicians to weigh in. So there you heard David Carlucci um, go out uh, on a limb and say that he's not for the standardized testing and that he would also reduce the standardized testing in legislation uh, if given the opportunity. Uh, we also asked him about charter schools, and he said the right thing. He said uh, he does not prioritize them. He would not vote for them. I asked him if it, was, if it was being used as a bargaining chip to give Democrats something that they wanted. Would you then agree to it? And he said no. He, he said all the right things uh, here during this election season. Um, I know some people have trust issues with um, Senator Carlucci, based on his history and the IDC and things that have been said, but I think in the Trump era, we're we're in a new, you know, we're in a new time now, and we have there's no we have to elect David Carlucci. There's no alternative. We cannot elect a, a Republican and have this Rockland County or and this Westchester County seat. Uh, fall into those hands, you know, they would vote for all the wrong things, standardized testing, charter schools, fracking, you name it, um, you know, it's a witch's brew. 
Um, we also asked uh, David about the uh, campaign for fiscal equity funding, and um, he uh, said that uh, you know that's his number one priority. And you know, like a broken record, he's saying we got to get this funding, uh, we got to have it, and uh, you know we can we can sort out how it's going to be paid for later. But the first thing we have to do is commit to the funding. So good on David Carlucci, and I hope everybody goes out and supports David Carlucci um, for this uh, general election, which is next Tuesday. Um, Shifting a little bit, we're going to talk about some headlines uh, in the news, and then we're going to go into the Jessica Ramos interview. Um, Headlines, headlines. So uh, we have a lot of races going on, and there's one issue where the... um, where Lee Zeldin is running in uh, Long Island, and he got caught again publishing erroneous information. Um, he published the voting deadline area um, after it actually expires in a Democratic area, and he got caught doing the same thing in the past. Uh, so bad on Lee Zeldin. Um, his opponent is named uh, Gunardis, I believe John Gunardis. And so... Uh, go uh, contribute to him. We have plenty of time left. There's a week left. Um, and w- if we can bounce this Long Island senator, that would be a great thing. Um, here on this show, we interviewed John Mannion. And if you caught that interview, uh, he is a 25-year teacher running for state senate up in Syracuse area. And so um, he is getting some major support from the teacher union. Uh, his race is a toss-up, and nobody knows which way it's going to go. It looks like a 50-50. So NYSUT, the, the New York State United Teachers, is really uh, doing all they can. They're doing phone banking. They're doing contributions. They're putting ads in that local market. And, um, you know, we had him here. He was another great voice against standardized testing. And he said that his kids went through the system. He thinks it's a shame. He called it a boondoggle. He said it's harmful to kids. It's wasteful. Folks, you got to wake up and realize that we are having our pockets picked uh, by these corporate educators, corporate education reformers, and that they are um, they're, they're making millions of dollars per year on this standardized testing. You know, they get money to administer the tests. They get money to consult on the test. They get money, you know, coming and going. And uh, kids in schools are having a bad time with it, you know, from third to eighth grade. Uh, there's days and days of testing, at least four days on the federal mandate, and then, you know, more than double that on the, oh, okay, uh, on the uh, state mandate. And so we just spoke to David Carlucci about that. And so what we're going to do right now is we're going to get this uh other interview going. Uh, this was a great interview, and hopefully the levels are good, but we interviewed uh, New York State Senate candidate Jessica Ramos from Queens, and she is not only a, um, she's not only a sure thing for uh, a state Senate seat in Albany, but she's also an opt-out mom. And so, Hi, is this Jessica? Right now. Hi, this is Jake Jacobs, and they told me that you'd be able to talk a little bit about education. I am. Great. Awesome. So let's dive right in. I'm covering this because a lot of reporting, a lot of media does not cover education. And I think I know why. The uh, 
because I think the the really big packs threaten to spend against candidates that stick their neck out against education reform and a lot of Democrats that might otherwise oppose things like charter schools and standardized testing are either afraid to speak out to have that money spent against them or they're actually taking the money, in which case, you know, they're more inclined to support those things. And so, I mean, you could look up a major political figure who's been on the scene for decades and you would not find a position either way on charter schools, uh, standardized tests, and so that's why it's kind of like frustrating, and that's why I'm, well, that's why I'm writing it. So, so my race was a little different. Um, I ran against an incumbent who, during the debate on New York One, we were both asked how we felt about lifting the cap on charter schools, and our positions, you know, were, were clear. He was for lifting the charter school cap, and I was against. Um, and we were, we were both very clear on that. Right, and so this election, it has been a little bit different, and the fact that you were asked that question is a, is a major change. I mean, that did not come up at all in 2016 elections, and so this is definitely progress. The blue wave that we're seeing and the, and the no IDC candidates or the IDC challengers seem to side a lot more uh, with public education, and, you know, to me that's not a coincidence that, you know, it's it's getting into the elections more and that, you know, that we're seeing a variance in, in the positions. Let me ask you about charters. The, the big question in the state Senate would be whether you would vote on a budget that would include expansion of charters or not. That's what the Republicans have been uh, trying to put into bills over the last couple of budgets. It's possible that the Democrats would have a majority and might set the agenda a little differently. But is your position just to kind of hold the line where we are? On charter schools, what's your charter school position in depth? So I do not support for-profit charter schools. Okay. Um, uh, I truly believe that when when the state or the city allocates any funding for charter schools, it just means that funds and resources are being taken away from our district public schools. And, and I say that as a proud graduate of public schools, but also as a public school mom. I have two boys, one in kindergarten, the other one in second grade, who, who attend a public school here in Jackson Heights. And, and so, of course, I am, you know, a, a, a mom who is deeply invested in their future and making sure that they have, that, that the government is providing them with every single dollar that they deserve. And in this particular case, they're owed uh, just about $2 million in every year in um in CFE funding and campaign for the celebrity funding or foundation aid funding, I know people call it different things. Yeah. Um. And and that's uh. But that's that's something that I'm fighting for. And so when I see there are co-locations or buildings are given to a charter school when when we know how frustrating it is for public school parents to see, especially co-located schools, the big difference. You know, you're we're essentially creating segregation between one system and the other. Yeah. I also am just a firm believer in the fact that charter school companies like Success Academy took all of the money that they spend on lobbying and actually put it into, you know, purchasing a school building or taking the space that they need. It would probably be a better use of their funds. And look, I don't think that we should trust the Walmarts of the world 
to give money to our public education system. I don't like the idea of the corporatization of our public school system, but that's their choice. I don't want that in, in public education. Um, and, and that's really me without getting into the whole teacher bit um, and protections for teachers and what that means in district schools versus other school systems. You mentioned that they do spend lobbying money. That's part of their budget that, that a public school would never do. And, uh, you know, also there's advertising, marketing, consultants. Yes. There's a lot of stuff that we see. So that all goes and, to... And what's worse, yes, is if the child, if the, if the student doesn't meet whatever academic requirements or somehow does not fit into the perfect student model that the particular school has, the child is ousted. And that's the big problem. If you're not, you know, if you're more worried about your brand than the actual student, then you're a business. You're not an educator. Right. That brings us to the question of cherry picking, which is, not just done after the student has been in the school and hasn't lived up to the expectations, whether it's academically or behaviorally, we have the accusations, especially in New York City charter schools, that they cherry-pick long before that to ensure that the high-needs kids never even get into the school in the first place. Do you have a position on the, the accusations that they rig the game and that the lottery applications are offered to some families and not others because they have an eye on which students are more likely to be good test takers? I have heard many, many different stories about this but have never experienced it myself. So I put that disclaimer there, right? Uh -huh. um, I'm very fortunate that, you know, these crazy for-profit charter schools are, are not something that I need to personally deal with in my district. Knock on wood. Right. But ultimately, yes, I've heard all sorts of horror stories about how important it is that they maintain their their grade test levels. And so they'll, they'll out children or, or they'll go through extreme measures to make sure that parents are taking their children out. They're not willing to do the work, in, in, and they're not willing to invest in the child. And that's ultimately the problem, right? Aside from the fact that we keep teaching to the test, and we're not necessarily always teaching about critical thinking, reading comprehension, and, and things that are much more quality, qualitative, and our skills that and our skills that really in the long haul are really, really important once you start adulting, right? Yeah, so... so one of the ways that they're able to, to kind of stack the deck in the first place is there was a report that came out last year that showed 50% of the students that win the lottery do not actually enroll in the Success Academy chain of charter schools. It came out that they have four different mandatory like pre-registration dress rehearsal they have there's four visits that the parents have to make before they actually start school and a lot of parents are too busy to make it or they can't afford the uniforms they can't afford the fees and so they said that one of the ways that they're able to screen these families way ahead of time is that after they won the lottery to count them out you know because they didn't make these four meetings and that all along the way that they're kind of like counseling them kids that have special needs are advised maybe you know this isn't the right place for you maybe there would be a better fit somewhere else and so that was a pretty staggering stat 
when we saw that that only half of the lottery winners actually enroll and so then after they're in they're they're suspended a lot or the the parents are are kind of advised and they they call that counseling out so there are a couple of different ways that they do it and it's all along the process and in the end success academy does not hit the targets that they were given by their charter authorizer upstate in Albany, which is the SUNY board. They were given specific targets to hit for special needs kids. You know, that includes ELLs and students with disabilities. And they've never made those targets, which is required by law. And so we are starting to see the discrimination lawsuits. And some parents have actually lawyered up and started cases that are kind of working their way through the courts now. And so, what you know, legislatively, this could, in a new reformed state senate, this could be an, an issue if they actually held hearings or and they actually just started to discuss this in, instead of just sticking it in the budget at the end. Well, you mentioned a couple of really, really key things, particularly about not just the state senate but Albany in general. The truth is that for way too long, Albany has legislated through the budget exclusively. And that's a big, big problem, right? And especially when, for hearings, hearings don't really take public testimony from from New York, from average, everyday New Yorkers. Or expert witnesses, um, right? Correct. So these are all very, very interesting reforms that I think, I believe, are needed in order to make sure that we have a truly functioning state government. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of reform of the process itself alone, and then on top of that, being able to then hold these folks accountable, of course. And that's great to hear because that's kind of overarching. Are you familiar with the NAACP proposed national moratorium on new charters? Yes. You are? Okay. Okay. And would you say that you subscribe to that that document? Oh, I would say so. I would say so. Look, I mean, and this goes back to my support of the CFE funding, right? It's been entirely too long since we've been asking for justice, for educational justice for our children. I think particularly for people of color like me or parents of color like me, we are deeply concerned, and and rightfully so, that that there is no equity in education for our children. And and we know that it's worse outside of New York in, in most states. But, you know, here in New York, I think given the new layout of the state senate, we have a true opportunity uh, to do what's right, and there's, there's, there's really no better political climate to do it in than now. And so, yeah, pivoting to, to the CFE or foundation aid, there's a couple of different suggestions, you know, if there's new energy and there's new lifeblood in the Democratic Party, how it would actually get paid for. And, and two of the methods that I've heard discussed so far, one would be congestion pricing, and the other one is uh, bringing back the millionaire's tax that was in place in 2011 when they did actually make good on, on a partial payment towards CFE. Could you comment on those and any other methods that you might be you know, preparing to suggest? Yeah, look, there are, quite frankly, uh, several different means. I, along the campaign trail, yes, there's congestion pricing. Yes, there's the millionaire's tax. I, there is a version of the millionaire's tax right now that will expire, that should that could be expanded. Mm-hmm. I know that there are people who are talking about a commuter tax, and there are folks who are 
talking about some other means. On the campaign trail, something that I talked about was the fact that in New York, when you go gambling, you, you know, and you lose money gambling, you can uh, write that off as a tax deduction. And, you know, in 2015, that actually amounted to around $900 million. Wow. Um, and, and mind you, you know, not only people talk about congestion pricing for education, but we talk about it much more in relationship to the MTA and fixing the MTA. I would say that upgrading, maintaining our public transportation system, upgrading and maintaining our educational system, because remember, education is oddly enough one of the sectors where we've least seen a technological, you know, advancement. These are two two areas where, as New Yorkers, we really, really need to prioritize in, in helping. And right now, we're just not seeing it. So we'll, we'll have to figure out how it is exactly that we'll that we're able to do, get all of this stuff done. But there's also, you know, historically been a tendency to divert funds away from these areas. Right. Um, you know, sometimes for economic development upstate, which I understand. Uh-huh. Um, but at the same time, you know, we have to realize what our priorities are. Um, because it's not just New York City that's owed all that money. We talk about New York City because, of course, you know, it's our hometown and we love it so much. But the fact of the matter is that Austin and East Blackapo and Syracuse, all of those school districts are in dire need of this funding as well. And remember that Kevin Parker, state senator from Brooklyn, actually introduced a hostile amendment to a bill that had something, I forget what exactly what the bill was, but it had something to do with funeral service directors. Yeah, it was um, an education bill, education funding for, like, mortuaries or something. Right, it was, it was something that, and, you know, New York had the opportunity to essentially vote for, for that funding, but the IDC just didn't show up. Right. Didn't show up to vote. That's right. All right, so I know you're mentioning that uh, a variety of things that they're taking a look at, but would you say that you do support some version of the millionaire's tax that was in place before and that has been passed in assembly bills in the last two concurrent uh, sessions? I'm sorry, I didn't hear the entire question. We were discussing different ways that, that could help foundation aid to be funded, but is it fair to say that you do support some version of the millionaire's tax that would be restored? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Okay, absolutely. great. Great. Okay. Right. And I, I assume that your Republican opponent does not. So my state Senate district is very, very special. We do not have rep- active Republicans here. So I do not have a Republican opponent. Oh, okay. And so you're just running. Does Peralta have any of the third party lines? He is on the independence line, the women's equality party line, and the reform party line. But we are pretty, pretty through in through uh, Democratic voters here in State Senate District 13, uh-huh. and so and so we're still campaigning and knocking on doors and stuff like that, but not not with as much vigor as we had to do during the primary, of course. Right. Um. And and right. and well, my opponent or my future predecessor, if you will, is not really currently campaigning. Right. Okay. Another education issue, which is the controversial standardized tests that come every oh every spring, and you're a mom, but you have a, a kindergartner and a second grader, so it won't be this year, it'll be next year. Next year. I can't wait to talk them out. <laughs> okay, that answers a lot of questions. The parents are seeing their, their right to opt out diminished by um, the state education department, uh, the Board of Regents, and New York City, I'm not sure if you're aware, but last year 
they were supposed to send letters home that inform parents of their options, and last year uh, they did not. And I know that was Chancellor Farina, and that we have a new chancellor now, so it remains to be seen once testing season comes around this year. But there are new punitive measures in place now, because Betsy DeVos actually imposed them on the New York State education department and any school now or any school district now that has more than five percent opt-out is supposed to come up with a plan using their own resources to increase test participation if participation is not increased the following year they have been threatening to divert title one funding to make sure that parents opt in in other words they want the schools and the district and the superintendents and the teachers to push the testing onto the parents. So I would ask your view. I know that you're, uh, you said you're anticipating opting out for yourself and your family, but if it got to legislation and if there were hearings or if there were maybe even just discussions, would you be in favor of reducing standardized testing, reducing the mandate for standardized testing legislatively? So, I am not a believer in standardized testing. I hate how much time it takes to prepare children for the test. I think it is very stressful on children and parents. I, I do anticipate opting my kids out. I think that it's a lie when many educators and or administrators say that not taking the test somehow uh, reduces funding for the school. Right. Um, I'm, I'm very proud of my council, of my council member, Daniel Drum, oh, yeah. who, as a former teacher and, and a brilliant educator still, I would argue, you know, is fighting very hard to make sure that the DOE notifies every parent of their right to opt out. So we'll, we'll see where that goes. Luckily, the city council does hold hearings where everybody can uh, participate. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm really hoping that, you know, people take advantage of that right to make their voices heard. Daniel Drum is amazing. I believe he's the only city council member that has his own opt-out uh, organization on the side. So he's he's so impressive. When it comes to when it comes to legislation though, there was a there was a pretty intense battle at the end of the last session to do away with the teacher evaluation system, APPR, and it didn't get done because in the very last minute there was two things added to the bill that kind of poisoned it. One was adding a hundred new charter schools under the cap, which the assembly would never go for. And the other was the yeshiva carve-out for um, Simka Felder. And so the bill didn't get passed, even though the state teachers union had already gone around individually asking every single state senator if they support it. And they got up to, I believe, 87%. So there was strong support from Democrats and Republicans to open up the education law and take out that teacher evaluation piece because the teacher evaluations were tied to standardized test scores. My question for you, and so I'm sure that some version of that is coming back um, in the next session because they were so close in the last session. My question for you is if they are going to open up the education Act again, which is called the Education Transformation Act, there could be a mechanism to reduce the number of tasks that are given 
to, to New York State students. If they took out what they call the local tests or the uh, MOSL, Mosul tests, we know that there's a federal mandate for the math and ELA. So that's two days of math and two days of ELA. But the other test that we have to take, and, uh, you know, this is a killer in my school because in my school we take tests for 12 days. We do the two days of math, two days of ELA, and then we have two other days of math and two other days of ELA, which are considered the local tests. And that is a, a state mandate, which could conceivably be changed through legislation. I spoke to a teacher upstate, and they have 20 days. And so it depends on the school, depends on the district. But there is a mandate on the state level to give local tests because the state tests are in moratorium. So would your position be to look for ways to reduce the amount of standardized testing that's given to, to kids? Absolutely. Oh, that was easy. <laughs> that was a two-minute question and a two-second answer. Yeah, so, I mean, it's something that we don't see. We do not see standalone education bills. And so, you know, when you were mentioning reforming Albany, just the way that business is conducted, um, you know, it would be really an eye-opener just to see a standalone education bill with hearings and testimony and experts. And to imagine, you know, teachers being allowed to testify would be so foreign. But, you know, we are hopeful that, you know, these kind of things might be on the horizon. When you confer with your colleagues that are also running against IDC candidates and maybe other, you know, just progressive Democrats like Julius Salazar that are, you know, that are look like they're heading to Albany. Do you find a lot of uh, common ground on education issues? Yeah, we find a lot of common ground on a lot of things. I mean, everybody knows that one of the, you know, strongest fighters that we've had for foundation funding has been Robert Jackson. Oh, yeah. Right? Um, so we've all, I think, yeah, I can't think of anyone who, who hasn't made foundation aid funding a priority in their campaign platform. Right. All of us come from districts that are owed um, significant amounts of money, and that's what we'll be fighting for in this next legislative session. Right, and when it comes to, I guess, the you know, the nuts and bolts, do you think that the, you'll find it easy to work with the mainline Democrats, you know, the, the Democrats that have been there a while. And I live in Rockland, and so my state senator looks like it'll be David Carlucci, assuming he wins against the Republican. Somebody like that, where they've kind of been on the wrong side of the fence, and there's this, this whole new energy. Have you been talking to any of the mainline Democrats, and are you seeing any changes in, in some of their stances? Yeah, look, I, I've spoken to many of the mainline Democrats, and it truly seems like everybody is very excited to have new colleagues to work with. I think everybody's really excited to finally be in the majority after such a long time. Uh, it's largely a new cohort of people that have never been in the majority before. Right. So, yeah, we've been discussing some of these issues and then some. And I think you're going to find that a lot of us are on board. When when it comes to the the donors, right, the 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 PACs and the lobbies, you know, we hear a lot about the real estate donors, and then we hear a lot about the charter school donors. Have you had any contacts? Have have they tried to reach out to you? Do you think that there's been any attempts to kind of you know see if you and your no IDC colleagues would play ball with them? 
Well, look, they haven't, they haven't reached out to me, but maybe it's because they know that they get an earful, so they don't want to waste their time. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, because there was a report on NPR last Friday that mentioned that the charter packs have not done any spending like they have in past cycles, and they're either waiting until the very last minute, which I think we're there now, or else they're just going to be sitting this one out, in which case there really could possibly be you know, a lot of a lot of movement against charters in the next session. Do you anticipate uh, maybe some a last minute flood of of charter money coming in, or you think this is it? You know, I'm no expert. I'm not an education expert. I'm certainly not a campaign consultant, but I would venture to say that you know their moment their moment is past. There is a new Democratic majority in the state Senate. That is evident, and um, and we'll see we'll see uh, what the results are. But I'm pretty confident that that the the moment to talk to people was during the primary, and I think that we made a good case for them having a lost cause. Right on. All right. Well, um, I really appreciate taking the time to get in depth on education. And was there anything else that you wanted to add that it was one of your priorities? No, I mean, just education-wise, um, you know, in, in districts like mine, my, my district is the most diverse district in the country. Uh, where we speak a hundred, more than 160 languages. We have the second largest LGBTQ community. Just in terms of cultural competency and dual language programs and bilingual education. We're starting to look here, especially in the Jackson Heights portion of my district, where there are many active public school parents. We have this fabulous group called Jackson Heights Parents for Public Schools. So they've been very active against standardized testing. Um, and right now, they're they're really out there talking about what a progressive school model would look like. Um, and, and I'm really excited and feel really honored to have them to have them here in the neighborhood. Uh, to see how it is, how slowly but surely we can we can right the ship and and make sure that we are giving our children you know the best education that we can. I was just this past weekend. I was at the at the NPE conference. Uh, the Network for Public Education, and the keynote speaker was the president of the NAACP, Derek Johnson. And I stuck up my hand and I asked a question about charter schools because they had this really strong national moratorium that they called for that was way ahead of anybody else. The AFT joined on about a year later and the NEA, and, you know, and, and we're starting to hear about it in the campaigns. What he stressed was that we really need to put kids before our, you know, our own agendas, you know, whether it's the teacher union or whether it's politicians or whether it's outside groups, and take a look at places where it's really working, right? And really, really look at places where it's working. And I would say that Queens, New York, and, you know, I'm sure it's a lot of neighborhoods in your district, are some of the best examples that we have, especially in New York City. You know, it's very competitive, it's very you know, high-performing schools, and, you know, I know some teachers that, that work in Queens. I would say, like, you know, that's the move, like, to really take a look at what's going on in public schools where, you know, there's a lot of great, you know, stuff happening, and, you know, and, th and that's a formula that we should be looking at for other areas. It goes, yeah. it goes exactly with what he's saying. It's like we should look at what's actually working, and I think Jackson Heights, I, I know there's a lot of different neighborhoods in your district, you know, where the, where the school schools are considered, you know, a cut above the average New York City public school. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's true. We're, we're very lucky here 
Corona um, has great public schools, as does Elmhurst, but they're also in you know, community education, county district uh, 24, which is one of the most overcrowded. So we have a lot of work ahead of us. But I'm eager, I'm eager to get started. I'm eager, I'm eager for January to arrive. Jessica, thank you so much. And best of luck on having a landslide and then going up to Albany and telling them what's what. All right. I'm going to do my best. <laughs> oh, great. All right. Really good talking to you. All right. Take care. All right. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Okay. So that was Jessica Ramos. She had some interesting things to say there. You know, as a public school mom, as a product of public schools, she knows from what she speaks. And... In her district, in the Jackson Heights slash Corona area of Queens, there are great schools. You know, we spoke about that, how that needs to be an example, where there are great schools. You know, to see what's going on right, to see what's happening in those schools, it's very instructive. And as a mom and as an activist in her local CEC, Community Education Council, she has been very involved in advocating for, for funding for her schools. But the thing is, those schools are great schools. There's, like, nothing going wrong there. They're, t- they're, you know, they're testing very high, and they're very diverse. And it's middle-class and upper-middle-class families from lots of different backgrounds. And, and she says she's very fortunate, and she sends her kids there. And, you know, she knows that this is what we need to replicate, not charter schools, not vouchers for religious schools. The typical public school mom knows a lot more than the typical politician. And when you get to teachers, they they can tell you exactly what's going on in the classroom with your tax dollars. So we really appreciate when parents get together with teachers and have these kind of conversations. We're going to sign off for the night where we are live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. rocklandworldradio.com. You can catch all of our archives on newyorkupdate.org, and it's a Facebook page that has a lot of posts on there, and then you can also check out the Twitter feed at UpdateNY, and you can see all the archives there neatly assembled. Thanks a lot, and we will see you next time. How's that? Welcome to the new sound of Rockland. RocklandWorldRadio.com. Exciting online TV and radio. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Welcome, Welcome to the new sound.